Hello, all you lovely listeners. Uh, we are very excited because Voicemail is proudly supported by Raw Naturals, skincare for men. Now, Raw Naturals is a new, unique grooming line that helps men feel comfortable in their own skin. Yep, Raw Naturals, like us, is a brand that's passionate about mental health. So we are delighted to have them on board with the show. Their range of beard and skincare products are not only top class, but are also made with the environment in mind. And they work. That's true. So for 20% off their range of male grooming products, check out the link in our show description. You can also follow Raw Naturals on Instagram at Raw Naturals UK. Hello and welcome to Voicemail, the podcast where us two males listen to your voicemail messages and do our best to help. I'm your host, Jamie Lang, and alongside me every episode will be my good friend and co-host, Josh Roberts. Josh is a campaigner, activist, mental health expert and author of The Anxious Man. Opening up about our mental health is something that we all struggle with on a daily basis, men in particular. We hope that by discussing your experiences alongside our own struggles, people realise that they are not alone and find the confidence to ask for help if they need it. Hello everyone, welcome back to a lovely, lovely episode of Voicemail. So lovely. So lovely, honestly. (laughs) Do you know what? I, I don't, I, listen, I'm not going to brag about our podcast, but actually I am. I'm, exactly what I'm doing is I'm just going to brag right now, Josh. You're always bragging. So, oh, my book, my book. <laughs> <laughs> what are you bragging about this time? Well, people are really, I said on the last one, people really love this podcast. Oh, yeah. And I feel like we can shout out about that. Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. No, it's so cool. It's so cool. And also what's cool about it is I get, well, I've always got quite a few messages from men. Um, but I started getting <laughs> even more than usual from blokes who um, have been listening to it and saying that um, they've found it's you know very comforting. Yeah. Plus, ever since we spoke about uh, nudes on Instagram last week, a week before, mm-hmm. there's been a notable uptick in the number of nudes I've received as I, well. So you know, it's everyone's everyone's winning here. <laughs> I, mine, I've ne- I never receive any form of nudes from male or female. Really? Yeah, I never, never get them. I don't know why. Maybe I repel. Yeah, that does surprise, surprise Does me. it surprise you think I'm the type of person me. to receive them? Well, no, also because everyone probably knows, don't they, that you're in a committed relationship. So maybe that's why they don't think there's, there's no point bothering. But isn't that more well, exciting? Isn't nude, it more exciting it? to send? If I wasn't in a relationship and I wanted to get, and I knew someone was, would I send them a nude? I probably wouldn't because they're going to shirt to their partner, is on they? Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. I tell you the one thing which is amazing. I actually spoke to the incredible charity called calm today about mental health and all the things that they're doing and they do you know what the what do you think so calm started as a charity right that was focused mainly was focused towards men right because uh, as we know we spoke mm. about just two-thirds of suicides are male etc etc what do you think is the most go gone to her page on their website for men what do you think it's about uh, depression, oh, as in, like, what kind of category of thing? Yeah, what kind of category? Yeah. yeah, I would say, I would say, depression or anxiety, the two big ones. Hair, hair loss, is it really? It's hair loss, yeah. And uh, one of our, uh, I think it was our last one was on hair loss. Yeah, our last episode we're talking about, that, yeah, yeah, talking about hair loss as you touch your hair. Don't worry, buddy, you're right. You're no, okay. I know. Your hair loss. <laughs> your hair Do you know you say that? I noticed though this morning, Jamie. Like seriously, I was looking in the mirror. Okay, I've got I've got some hair, but my god, is it going grey and fast? I don't know what's up with that. Yes, but grey's um, fine. Grey is fine. No, grey is my fine, buddy. This. She says distinguished, but it's not. It's it's a sign, and it's your hair. Hair in your head goes grey first, and then I was genuinely reading about this, this morning. Your pubes go grey. Your pubes go grey. <laughs> 
<laughs> There's nothing distinguished yeah. about that. That's no one not needs sexy. That. No one needs that. But listen, the, the good news about getting grey hair is that it means it never falls out. So it's just dead oh, really? hair. Yeah, it never falls out. So you, your hair will stay forever. If it's going grey, means it will always remain. It's dead hair, almost. That's what they call it. So it just stays forever. Never. Everyone with grey hair has a full head of hair. I mean, if it's grey on top, you know, Philip Schofield's of this world and people like that, they have... They have grey hair. Some of your close friends, just all of yeah, yeah, them. Yeah, just throwing out some of my friends out there, just some of my buddies. Just, yeah, Richard Gere, you know, just another one of my buddies. <laughs> hey, listen to all you lovely listeners. Um, today is, you know, we've, we, we've gone down the route of Josh's real hot topics, but today I'm going to put it out there. It's one of my hot topics, social anxiety. Mm. You're making Social anxiety. Yeah, this is my, this is my kryptonite. This is my, um, this is my, Batman? What is it? This is my Joker. This is this is, is it, the one. Is it your Joker? Yeah. This is my Joker. This is my trump card. This is my ace. This is it. Because do you know what it is, Josh? I'm gonna, I'll start with me first. We, you know, we talk about our own experiences. Mm. Everyone has this perception, right? That I am incredibly outgoing. I'm pretty confident. And I'm not shy. All these different things. And I am a lot of those things. But actually, what I drove myself to for many years was incredibly anxious, socially anxious, yeah. where to the point I couldn't go and have a one-on-one lunch or dinner or breakfast or meet up with one of my close friends because it was too intimate. I found it too intimate. And mm. I was so worried that I was going to be like an Uber. I was going to be rated afterwards out of five, out of 10, how I was going to be. And that for me was too much that I couldn't bear the prospect of being rated. So, and what I would do is I would make plans knowing that I was going to cancel them. And yeah. so you then get the double whammy. They're not, not only are you socially anxious, you're also letting people down, but they don't know why. They just think you're rude by the end of mm. it. In fact, you're not. You're just socially anxious. And it, it led me to a point where I actually became incredibly lonely. Um, and I think it was one of the things that led me to sort of my burnout is that I was becoming lonely and I was becoming more socially anxious. And it was because I had played a volumed up version of myself on a yeah. television show for so long that I found it difficult to separate the reality from reality. Right. And that mm. was, that was really tricky. And I think a lot of people out there feel that sense of social anxiety, whether it's going to parties or in the workplace or from birth or whatever it is. And it's one of those things that people don't really talk about that much because how can you be socially anxious, anxious in front of your friends? That's the last thing that you want to be. But in fact, we are a lot of the time. How do you feel about it? Yeah, it's so interesting. And, and you, you touched on a number of the things I think is really important if we're going to talk about this today to, to sort of really hammer home for folks who are listening. The first thing is to say that social anxiety is not being shy and it's not being introverted. It's perfectly possible to Wait, be... Wait, this is so interesting. Oh my God, this yeah. is why, Josh, I it, love it when you're on the podcast because <laughs> you have the facts and I just talk the nonsense and then I learn from you and I just love it. I always, can I just quickly just cut you off so rudely? Yeah, that's right. Because I, I always thought I was an, uh, an extrovert, outrovert, <laughs> an extrovert. extrovert. Yeah. I always thought I'm an extrovert, but I'm, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just a shy and I'm an introvert. And actually I've been pretending I'm an extrovert all these years. And, and actually I've been pretending I'm something else. And that's why I'm socially anxious. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's definitely a thing. Definitely. A thing. And also for people who I think work in, um, you know, who, who, for whom performance is a big part of their, you know, work or their, their lives. 
that that kind of duality of being extroverted when you're in work mode and then introverted when you're not in work mode is definitely a thing. But but it, the, the point about shyness and and introversion and social anxiety is really important because um, it's one of these things that sort of prevents a proper conversation about it because people go, yeah, but you you can't be nervous about public speaking. So you know, because I, I do quite a lot of public speaking to to flog the dead there horse is that is bragging. my book <laughs> bragging. bragging again all right buddy yeah we know you do yeah yeah we yeah, you do yeah, yeah. corporates come on anyway <laughs> listen you can see how many corporates i do because i'm wearing a, an outfit that is 100 from uniqlo that's how that's how that's how, that's how my speaking life is going anyway what i'm saying is it stops people from having a proper conversation about it because they they see someone who's extroverted or who's maybe practiced at something like public speaking and therefore sort of dismiss the idea that they might be struggling from social anxiety. I was surprised to discover just how many people suffer that badly from it. I always suspected that lots of people would have low level social anxiety about doing a big speech at work or going to a big party or a wedding where they don't know anyone. But it's 12% of people across the course of their lives will experience a sort of, you know, clinical period of, of being socially anxious. Is it more men or is it more women? Do we know? Well, it's difficult to say with a lot of these, like a lot of these mental health problems, because women tend to over-report and men tend to under-report. So um, mm. the statistics on it are quite a little bit, can be a little bit misleading. But it's such an important topic and I'm delighted to be chatting about it today because uh, particularly where we are on at the moment. In this know, coming, time, right? In this coming out of lockdown and and I think people who who maybe have never worried about going back to social situations, even people who may be really excited to go back into normal life also have a sort of tinge of what if it's not what I want or what if my life goes back to how it was before and, and those kinds of things. So it's a big topic. It's a huge topic. And, and a lot of people that I speak to say, oh, what I'm really nervous about is what I've, what I've nervous about is going back, as you said, but also the thing that I've loved about lockdown is I haven't had the social pressures of having to go out and see people and have dinners and that a- aspect of FOMO, the fear of missing out, right? Because, you know, people don't, people don't want to have that fear of missing out, but also they can't bear to go into these social situations because they feel socially anxious. But yes. it's different because I've never really had it where I've had a problem where I can speak out in front of people. I've never really had that. I, I've sort of been okay with, I get very nervous. Okay, sure. But I, I don't categorize that as social anxiety. And, and for me, I've, I almost found it easier to, to chat to strangers than I did to my yeah. close friends because yeah. it wasn't as intimate. That's the only way I can describe it. It was too intimate for me. And I think a lot of people feel that. You know, that's why for some reason when people have the ability or do talk to therapists, it's much easier to talk to them because you feel like they're not casting judgment like your friends are casting judgment over you. Do oh, you 100%. I mean? that- no, no, completely. And it's the difference between doing a, um, a speech to a conference and doing a speech at someone's wedding. You care much more about the wedding because the people there are people, you know, you, you actually care about their opinions. Whereas, you know, when you're doing the accountancy conference in Milton Keynes or whatever it is, it's, it's not, you, you don't care quite so much about their opinions. So that that's very common. But what, what you've mentioned there, I think is really interesting again, is there is a distinction between, uh, and we have this with lots of mental health problems. And actually often, I don't think the distinctions are that helpful. The difference between being sad from time to time and being depressed and the difference from being someone who gets nervous about doing a you know piece of public speaking and someone who suffers from 
you know, social anxiety. They're, they're, they are mm. slightly, slightly different things. Um, they are different things, right? Because I would say it's nervous. That's nerves, right, speaking. I wouldn't say that's social anxiety, but maybe it is a form of social anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. But but what I'm saying is very often these things get lumped in together. And so, um, and that can be a bit unhelpful when you're talking about, you know, everyone gets down from time to time, right? But that's different from depression in the same way that everyone gets yeah. a bit nervous about doing a best band speech. That is different to social anxiety. It's a It's a clinical proper disorder that you can get clinical help for i had i had this experience i kid you not there was a period in my life i remember it very there was a period in my life where i remember sitting in a flat and i was sharing it with my friend and i had sort of pushed so many friends away because i was so socially anxious it wasn't my fault i didn't mean to do it and i'm sure people relate to it, it sounds like i'm having therapy from you right now josh roberts which yeah, i'm not be, i'm just trying to explain invoice. it you'll, you'll get your invoice <laughs> <in> the <post> <laughs> and it's not cheap but i had it so much it's not cheap it's not cheap um but i had it so bad that i remember i was about to go and film uh an away trip for made in chelsea and i remember i had a night to myself and i remember thinking who do i call right now i remember thinking i couldn't call anyone because i had pushed so many people away and i I felt and i was like i can't call anyone because i've sort of ruined i've i've used up my my bank of letting down friends and all and not turning up to stuff so I don't really have anyone to call and that sort of continued for a while and I remember that I was doing a show uh and I and that one of the producers on the show was a really nice guy and this is I, this is like me playing my little violin but it's just I want to relate it to people because I think a lot of people feel the same and mine was from a lot of different reasons my social anxiety right because it was just I had to play up to a certain role I thought I had to play up to right um but I remember I met this producer and I got on really well with him and I remember thinking in my mind I I, I remember thinking god if I ever if I ever get married it's going to be okay because he can be my best man because it'll be fine. He'll be my best man. And I was thinking so much about that, that who would be my best man? Who would be this? Who would be that? Because I was so socially anxious. I didn't think I could connect with anyone ever again. And the problem mm. is with social anxiety, you think you're never going to get over it. You think you're stuck like that forever. And as we always say, Mr. Roberts, we know that we can get past these things. And for me, what I realized to get over it with these tools is that I had to expose myself to these situations. And once I was exposing myself to these situations, as much as it was hard and anxiety driven, and I was, oh my God, socially anxious all the way, as soon as you start exposing yourself and realizing it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, you slowly get over it. And the very easy thing is to pull the blanket over your, your head not go to the social events, not see anyone, mm. not speak to anyone, but actually it just makes it worse and worse and worse. And exposing yourself is a really good way to get over there it. There you go. There you have I it. I should invoice you for that. <laughs> I should invoice Jamie you. Jamie Lang says... There you go, cured. Jamie Lang says, expose yourself. <laughs> what? Huh? <laughs> what? But you know what That's I mean, though, right, buddy. You do know what I mean. No, I do. I do. And actually, I think we'll talk about this a bit later about how that's what one of the um the most sort of frequently prescribed kind of ways of getting over social anxiety is a, a form of exposure and response therapy right josh should we listen to our first voicemail let's do it okay i can't believe i'm doing this but um i think it is really important that we talk about this and especially as hopefully the uk comes out of <clears throat> Lockdown. I experienced extreme social anxiety um, when we came out of lockdown. A lot of my friends had gone into relationships during lockdown. And so when I came out, I was like the last single one standing. 
And it was a really hard and lonely place to be because I could see people in my social media being social, but I wasn't being social. Um, there was a lot of different factors that came into play and I definitely think it was also gaining confidence around people. I was working from home, so I literally went from seeing one or two people a day to groups of 10 people in a pub or in a cafe or just out and about and it was really intense and I actually found myself who I'm usually very outgoing and social like pulling myself back and saying oh no I'm busy but I wasn't um, oh no, I'm trying to save money, but that's all I did during lockdown. So it was really weird and I just really want to highlight that as hopefully your audience that's listening will be feeling the same. Hopefully as summer comes, then you're coming out of lockdown. How amazing is that? That's from lovely Amy. This is a big thing, right? As we, we touched on it before, we are coming out of this, hopefully we're coming out of this pandemic. But with coming out of the pandemic, there are those social anxieties that we have to go back to the norm. Yeah. And we have to start seeing everyone. And they always say like a habit, you know, a habit takes three weeks to get into. So if you start smoking for, th- you know, for, no, sorry, a habit takes 66 days to get out of the habit, it takes three weeks. Is that right? I have no I idea. Talk? This is one of your this is one of your stats that you've just <laughs> magicked up. Where have you got this one from then? <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember. But but what I'm trying to say is that we going into the pandemic, we all were scared and worried and concerned because there was the unknown, and we're not as humans, we're not good with the unknown. But coming out of it, we're scared because we are now into this routine of kind of being with a smaller groups or, or whatever mm. it is, and and what. Amy is saying is she experienced this high level of social anxiety coming out of the pandemic and and as quite right, she wants it to be high. Yes. So right. What are your thoughts on it? No, I think she's absolutely bang on. And I know, well, I've actually been talking quite a lot about this recently myself about how our lives kind of pre pandemic were far from ideal. Like the last year of lockdown and stuff has also been catastrophic with people's mental health but let's not pretend that what we were doing Mm. in the years before that was great for our mental health and (laughs) and a return to some of those previous behaviors i think would be would be really disastrous and and what we're talking about there is we're talking about alcohol and late nights not sleeping enough overwork all the the sort of smoking all of the above all of the above and also the kind of constant need one of the things about lockdown was it was illegal to see your friends and mm. go out and stuff. And now, as Amy was saying, you know, if we return to that bit where if you're not constantly 100% of the time busy seeing friends or out and about or doing something, you feel kind of, it's that FOMO thing or or that kind of what's wrong with me that I'm not at the party or, or whatever it is. That's what is it? It's what's wrong with me, right? It's what's wrong with me. Yes. And that's what you think. What is no one else feeling this? Is no one else feeling this? And it's all? that curious business of you're you're at home and everyone else is at the party and you're sitting on Instagram or whatever, seeing other people at parties kind of questioning, um, questioning why you're not there. But at the same time, they can't be having such a fabulous time at the party because otherwise it wouldn't be Instagramming it the whole time. So it's kind of one of those weird quirks of, of modern life. <laughs> I think if you went into lockdown already suffering from social anxiety, then the concern at the moment would be, well, I've had a year off and uh, now it's gonna, everything's gonna come back worse than it was before. And if you went into it as a, 
someone who hadn't suffered from social anxiety before, I know lots of people are worrying. They're kind of going, oh my God, if my life goes back to how it was before, I don't know how I'm going to sort of be able to cope. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. So it's a really kind of nuanced and, and I guess, slightly tricky situation. There are lots of different things that you can do, I think, one of the really, I think, really powerful things for social anxiety is elements of cognitive behavioral therapy. We've obviously, we've spoken about this before, but one of the things that sort of affects people with social anxiety very badly is the sort of default to negativity. So the moment something like social interaction, a date, eating in front of other people, um, using a public toilet, which is a kind of curious, but very prevalent um challenge with social anxiety the moment you think about that your brain automatically goes to negativity and and you yes. feel that sort of those negative symptoms in your body and the idea of cbt is to actually kind of introduce a an extra step between thinking about the social situation and worrying about it where you sort of arrest the thought you know oh i'm gonna have to go to the pub and see all these people and it's going to be terrible you go mm, okay why don't we just interrogate that thought a little bit with logic and reason and evidence to try and see if it's really, well, either that likely to come true or going to be that catastrophic if it does. And this process is really manual to start with. You will literally, you know, thought will pop into your head. I don't want to go to a lunch meeting with someone because I'm so worried about having to eat in front of them. Um, you ask yourself, well, what's the worst thing that can possibly happen as a result of that? And then you ask yourself, okay, what's the real likelihood of that worst case scenario coming true? And what you always, always find is that things are less likely to happen and less terrible, even if they do. And over time, that sort of process of challenging your thoughts becomes second nature. And you, what you then notice is the thoughts tend to occur a bit less. That's, that, that's been my whole experience. 
Okay, so I'm going to give you a scenario, right? So say, okay, I say to you, I say to you, right, that I'm, I'm feeling incredibly socially anxious. I'm coming out of the pandemic. This is going to be awful. I'm getting all these invites to go to these parties and things like that. And I don't want to do it. And my friend keeps asking me to go for lunch because he hasn't seen me or she hasn't seen me in a year. And they they really want to go, but I can't do it because I'm so socially anxious. Oh God, what do I do? What do I do? I keep trying to delay it to delay it to it gets to a point where they're saying, I do, you're just ignoring me. Do you, do you say, okay, and then you say to yourself, you do the cognitive therapy, you say, right, the worst thing that can happen, in my mind, I say the worst thing that can happen is that we go there and I haven't seen this person for a year and they just think I'm boring. And I, I'm not as fun as I was before. Okay, but I've changed Jack, completely. Jack, but mate, how, how many times have you been at dinner with someone and they've been boring? Never. How well, many, how many people have you met in your life and they, and you've come away thinking, oh, that, they were a bit boring. And how little has your opinion of that person changed because they've had they've been boring one day? You're so right. Right? You're and so then, right. And also, what's the like? Let me ask you, like, what on the other side of it, what's the real likelihood of you going, well, I, I, I mean, I have to say, I think the likelihood of you being boring, probably quite high. You'll probably start droning on about all of your celeb mates. And, it, you know, and pe- people will tire it very quickly. But for the normal person, for the lay person who isn't presenting a new uh, yeah. BBC dancing quiz show, dating show, dating show, sorry, my bad. You know, what's the real likelihood of that happening? How many times have you been for dinner with someone and not been boring? Tons and tons and tons of times. So the likelihood of it happening is pretty low. And the severity, even if it does, is also pretty low. Wow, you're so right, Josh. You you genuinely, at the start, when you're doing CBT, you, you, these kind of thought trials, imagine you're in like a courtroom, you know, your thoughts are on trial. They are very, very manual, very kind of clunky things that you genuinely have to sit down and do or write down in your phone or whatever it is. Over time, it becomes completely, you know, automatic and you can, you can be doing these thought trials whilst at the same time be having a conversation with someone or riding your bicycle or whatever it is. Um, so that's, sorry, just, just back to Amy's call. Like that was the first thing I was going to say was definitely sniff around CBT and CBT for social anxiety. Um, and the second thing was around what we just were talking about earlier, uh, the kind of, they call, it's called systematic desensitization. Systematic desensitization. Go on. Is, it's a form, on. It's a form of like... playing Scrabble. <laughs> yeah, lots of S's in that one. That's unbelievable. Do you want to say it? Do you want to have a go? Systematic. No, not going to try it. Systematic. Desensitization. Systematic desensitization. There you go. Lovely. <laughs> That was my social anxiety then fading off towards the end. (laughs) It's basically that, that what we were talking about earlier, where you slowly and gradually expose yourself to the things that you're worrying about. And it might start, you just do it imagined. So you will sit down in a room and imagine yourself going to the lunch or doing the speech or going to the loo in the public place or whatever it is and kind of feel those sensations in your body. And then over time, you sort of push yourself and push yourself and push yourself until you get to the stage where you're able to, you know, kind of fully go through with whatever it is, um, is the other thing God, that I'd recommend. That is so useful, buddy. Honestly, that is so useful just, just in general for, for, for myself and for everyone. And I just think, I also just want people to realize, um, you know, like with Amy, that so many people are feeling the same way that we are, they are, that loads of people are feeling the same sort of anxiety. Yes, you're probably, you, you always think that you're worse than others. You're always going to think that yours is much worse and you're freaking out much more about going to these social situations. But I can tell you now, the amount of people I've been speaking to and you've spoken to and we've heard from and all these different mm. things, feeling the same emotions is, is crazy. And so you, you just have to realize that everyone is feeling the same thing and you don't need to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I did a, I did a, sp- 
speech thing it was last year in january okay yes and it was you just talk about your talks again no it's gonna get it's gonna be worse than that i'm gonna it's gonna it's gonna be a name drop here i'm going full (laughs) you right richard gear (laughs) yeah it was me and ricardo no it was me and ramesh ranganathan or rather he was the kind of star on the panel it was a panel about male mental health and i was asking questions and we were stood back stage before it about to go on and my mum had said to me the day before, she was like, well, at least you'll be on stage with a stand-up comedian. So, you know, it'll be fine because if you're shit, he'll sort of take over and you'll be fine. I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. Anyway, we're standing backstage and I said this to Ramesh. I was like, oh, well, my mum said, you know, at least you're here. And he was like, I don't know why she said that because I'm absolutely bricking it. And it was one of those, mo- <laughs> one of those moments where I was like, oh, God. But to, to, the, reason I, the reason I undertake this awful name drop is because like what you're saying. Everyone feels like this. And sometimes the people who you least suspect of it That's are the it. ones who feel it most acutely. So mm-hmm. it's an important point. And, and also I would just say, I would say, talk about it with your friends. Say it, say, do you know what? I'm feeling incredibly socially anxious at the moment. I'm worried about coming out of the pandemic. I'm worried about seeing everyone. Say that. And when you have that open conversation, mm. people, you will just really realize how much people open up and they'll say, oh my God, the same. I think so socially anxious. And then you bond over it. And then actually what you do is when you go and meet this individual, you actually have a topic to talk about. This whole point that why were we socially anxious? This is great. We're fine. You think so that. And that really helps, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you're absolutely right. Spot on. Yeah. Hey, um, should we listen to our next voicemail? Yeah, let's do. That'd be great. Hey, guys. My name's Jazz. I love the podcast. Um, I have social anxiety and I'm going into a creative career related to theatre. Um, and something I find quite difficult is I feel a lot of pressure to kind of um, show up and be positive and be, you know, excited. And um, I don't know. Have a brave face in these big groups of people um and there's so much collaboration teamwork and communication in the career that I want which I can do but because of my anxiety it's sometimes really really exhausting for me um can sometimes give me headaches and so much like tension and stress and it can affect my sleep like the pressure of it all um so I was wondering for you both um is there anything that you do with your careers to kind of help you um relax and i don't know just manage dealing with people all the time jazz what an epic voicemail that is Love because that one. that's isn't that a good one because mm. i you know josh you can take the lead on this one because i've 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 always been an entrepreneur i've always um worked uh worked on my own apart from is doing that what we're calling it, it- yeah, that's what we're calling it. Apart from when obviously I did Main Chelsea, which actually led me to a lot of social anxiety, but it was more sort of, you know, it was, it, you know, it was entertainment. So it was, it was okay some of the times. But Josh, this is, you know, and you haven't, I've rambled on about my one. You definitely felt a sense of when you had your anxiety, you used to go, and I'm speaking for you, you used to go and sit in the bathroom and just cry sometimes. Is that? Yeah. I was about to say yeah, like that, a little baby, but actually you were really very upset. You were just, but that wasn't social anxiety, I know. Yeah. So have you, have you finished uh, taking the piss out of my <laughs> mental breakdown? Is that, are you done? Are you making fun of your Happy? mental health? I'm so Should sorry. Do feel good? Do you feel big? <laughs> no, me feel awful. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, no, you're absolutely right. So work was a really big thing for me. It was, bo- but it was both a driver of and a kind of symptom of my mental unhappiness, if that makes sense. So 
um, you know, I was kind of unhappy in my career and that made me feel you know, really anxious and, and drove lots of mental un- unrest. But then at the same time, um, my kind of mental unrest came out quite a lot at work. So it's a, it's a really tricky one. And, and, and it's also, you, you worry so much and obviously jazz is, um, or at least didn't sound like she was a, a bloke, but I know that lots and lots of men struggle with this because it's one of the areas where, you know, we say, and you and I talk about this a lot, you know, men need to open up and we need to be much more open and da-da. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, great. Right up to the point where it might affect my standing at work. And yes. right up to the point where I don't want to talk to my, you know, I'm happy to talk to my friends about it, but I don't really want to talk to my boss about it because at some point he's going to be, or she will be choosing someone for promotion or whatever it is. And I don't want to mark myself out as being a problem child or a weak person or, or whatever it is. So these problems are particularly acute at, at work. Can I just say, Josh, that is such a huge point. I spoke to someone the other day and I was saying we have to, you know, we have to get over this this stigma of talking about uh, of, of mental health and how it, it's a problem, stuff like that. And he said to me, and he was quite right, he said, it's very easy to say, let's get over the stigma of mental health. It's super easy. What is hard is to say, I have depression. I have anxiety. I have social anxiety. I have insomnia. I have OCD. Putting it onto yourself, that's the hard bit. And you're yes. so right. We're very easy about talking about it now. But then when it comes to the point of you think it's going to affect our lives, and especially our work, that's when it becomes really hard. Because the last thing we want to do is affect our work. Because if we affect our work, we then catastrophize and we go down this route where then we're never going to be employed and we're going to be fired. And then we're going to be living on the streets because we're not going to be able to make money. And, and all these things go in. Mm. It becomes this flaming cartwheel that just won't stop. Yeah. And also what the, the, the kind of ultimate, well, there's probably two or three ultimate worries that you have when you suffer from a mental health problem. One of them is, you know, this problem is going to mean that I get dumped or no one's ever going to want to yeah. go out with me. So I'm going to kind of die alone. One of them is the suicide one. Cause you sort of think, shit, I know where this ends if it gets really bad and you worry about that. And then work is probably, I would say a second or third of those sort of things where you think I just, it's okay to have depression. I just really don't want it to affect my career. I just really don't want it to affect, you know, what my progression through, through a company. I'm okay I know, with having it, but I just don't want it to affect work. I know it's, it's one of those things. So I, I completely get Jazz's point. I think luckily what I would say is, and the, the, what pe- how people perceive talking about mental health at work versus the reality is just so different. So people think even in, Investment banks, law firms, consultancies, and, and so forth. People think that the moment they speak up about this problem, um, or that they mention to their boss or their colleague that they have an issue, that they're suddenly going to be um, thrown on the scrap heap. And the reality is just so different from that. And I can speak from this from firsthand experience. I worked in a blokey industry in a blokey company on a blokey desk with a very blokey boss. And I was really worried about what it would mean to talk about my mental health uh, with him. What I discovered was, uh, well, actually, I, I won't go into it, but there was a degree of empathy and understanding that I, you know, to look at this guy, you would never have expected. And that is surprising right up to the moment that you realise 25% of people across the course of their lives will have one of these problems, right? Yeah. Depression, anxiety, OCD, bipolar, whatever. If each of those people has at least three friends or knows three other people in the population, 100% of us will either have had the problem ourselves or know intimately someone else who has. So when you start talking to the, when you start talking to people about these problems, it doesn't matter if they're your boss, they're a human being. 
And 100% of the time, they will either have had this problem themselves or know someone else who has. You're pushing on an open door. And so what I would say to Jazz is, appreciate it's a new job and it's completely up to you to decide how you want to deal with this because some people do want to be chatty, some people don't. That's fine. Um, but if you do want to be chatty, know that very often um, it's much, much easier than than what you think it will be like. And I just know this for a fact. It's not just from me. It's because all the people I've spoken to, you know, in the course of writing the book and, and you know, doing um, all, the, all the other bits and bobs that I do. It, it, you're about to says, say talks. You're about to say talks. You well, it's not, just talk. it's not just talks, is it? It's not just talks, is it? <laughs> you it's were on a, the verge. That would have been the third time. It's a mental... Well, and, you know, Mental Health Awareness Week is coming up when I do have some slots available. Just, <laughs> oh, Ramesh. <laughs> but it's um, true. Yeah, continue, George. Anyway, so so what I'm saying is, you know, if you are, if you do get to the stage where you want to talk about it, or you're at least fractionally tempted to talk to your boss or your colleagues or whatever about it, know that it will be four or five times easier than you think it will be to have that conversation. It's hard, right? I heard the, the statistics, um, which is really upsetting, actually, is that and maybe I've mentioned it before in the podcast, but I'm going to mention it again. It's 13% of Americans like their job. So they like going to it. They love it, what they do. 60-odd percent do something called sleep working. So they wake up and they just go to work and that's it. And the rest are anxious or depressed going to work. 20-odd percent of people in America. So what is that? Out of 320 million people, 25%, you're, you're good at maths. It's something 67 very million. 67 million. So ba- basically the, the population of the UK are anxious or depressed going to work. 67 million. Every single day. What was it? 20%? In, say it again. 20, 25% of 320 million. He's got his calculator out, I think. He hasn't got his calculator out. It's 80 million. 80 million. 80 million. So more than the population of the UK. Take, take a breath there. Look, you, you, it's like you're a mastermind or doing something. <laughs> but close. that is a crazy number of people who... Um, who were anxious and depressed going to work. And and that's a really scary statistic because it's something you have to do forever. And I would say two things to this. I would say that with jazz, a lot of people will be feeling the same thing as we said before. Mm. A lot of people will be feeling socially anxious and worried about this and having to put on a brave face. And actually, as you said, it's far easier than you think. But I think the other thing that you have said, Josh, which is amazing, is that a lot of people are anxious, socially anxious at work and feeling these certain things. But if you are not enjoying it and you're not liking the environment and the environment isn't for you, quit and it sounds as easy as said the because maybe you do need the job and there's lots of different things but if you have the ability to quit and if you have the the the, the, the nerves and you have the the um power and the the safety net and all these different things that come with quitting a job the relief that you will feel is immense as you did isn't it josh is that fair advice yeah. would you say yeah no it, it was definitely the case for me well, actually, not 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 quite. I, I would say I I did enjoy elements of what I did, but it was more. The thing that struck me was because I remember having a conversation actually with my parents, and and them saying when I was going to write the book and sort of be, talk about mental health in a very open you know kind of way, and there was a conversation we had about is that is that a good career move to 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 talk and be known as someone who's you know got had a mental health problem. And my reasoning and kind of rationale then, and it still is like this, is if someone doesn't want to employ me because I've had a mental health problem in the past, then I don't want to work for them. Yeah, You know, they they, they sound like tossers and I don't want to work for tossers. And it's, of course, like this is a hugely privileged thing to say because it assumes that I'll always be able to find work, which isn't the case Mm -hmm. for lots of people. But if you do come up, you know, if you in Jazz's case, she says to her boss or, or colleague, you know, I've got this real problem with, with social anxiety. And they say, oh, well, you know, you sound like a weakling. 
yeah, see you later. There's no, there's so many companies out there who are on board with mental health and doing great things that you shouldn't waste any time working for someone who, who isn't doing that. Love that, Josh. Right. Should we listen to our final voicemail? The third and final one. The third and final one. Hi, Jamie. Um, just a quick one about your social anxiety post. Um, so I think I've been so suffering with social anxiety since I was really, really little, probably since like starting primary school. Um, but obviously back in the 90s, it wasn't, the label wasn't social anxiety. I was just that really chronically shy little girl um, who didn't like to make myself big in a crowd I'd like just kind of like shy away from everything um in a crowd of people um obviously now I know that social anxiety and with lockdown and everything and not being able to see people um even just the prospect of seeing friends um makes me quite nervous just because we haven't I haven't socialized with people for so long that I'm like I don't I don't know I don't know how to do it and I don't know it cut off at the end there because she didn't quite finish it off. That was a lovely message from Alison. And I think what's key about this one, um, Josh, is that she says she experienced it from a very early age in the 90s when no one spoke about mental health. We didn't speak about mm. it back then. And actually, look at us now sitting here doing our podcast, having these chats. Topless. Yeah, topless, <laughs> as we always do. Topless. God, what a terrible image yeah, for the listener. It's just an awful image. I apologize. We're not topless. But we're sitting here and we're having these conversations, being open and honest. How great is that that we can do that in this time and people aren't going to think certain things and stuff like that? And, and you know, and Alison's message there is so true that I think a lot of people, um, you know, at a younger age has definitely experienced the same things. They don't understand why they're feeling shy and certain things. And then they get told that perhaps they are socially anxious. And that's a tough thing to sort of um digest when you're told something like that probably isn't it yeah it's it's a weird thing because it's um on the one hand it's kind of cool to have a clinically diagnosed thing that mm. you know for which there is a treatment plan and the doctors have seen a million people like that i know you know f when i've spoken with therapists and stuff i'll often say to him have, has anyone ever described what i'm describing to you before yes. and and he'll be like yeah, about four people this morning have said yes. that exact sentence Josh, to me. Yes, that's um, it. That's it. That always happens. Yeah. Yeah. And and so there's something quite almost comforting about a, a diagnosis. But at the same time, there's also something quite spooky because you think, oh, shit, you know, I've got something here and it's not just a phase and it's going to be something I'm going to have to do some work on and, you know, and, and it's going to take time to get better from. So it's kind of a bit of both. I, I, I love this um, voicemail because it, I would say, I mean, she, she talks about the difference between uh, the 90s and now. Yeah. Um, I'd say the difference between this time last year and now in really? terms of the public, the public conversation about mental health. And I see this from, from, from the conversations I have with, with people our age, right up to the conversations with people who are, you know, in their 50s and 60s, who a year ago would have been a bit kind of, oh, these snowflakes with their mental health problems, why don't they just man up or mm. whatever, are now so on board with it because they've, they've experienced it themselves. Mm. A lot of people have experienced this problem through, through lockdown themselves. So yeah, it's, I, I love this voice note because it kind of speaks to a really, really exciting, optimistic thing about mental health, which is that we're getting there so quickly. We're getting it's there. one of those areas where 
in about five years time, I don't think this podcast, well, I hope this podcast still exists. It's a, it's a much needed cash cow for me. Uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Good that we're giving all the money away then. All the money's going to charity. All, <laughs> all the money's charity. going away to charity, yeah. which is yeah. a really good thing. All of it. 100% of it. 100% of it. Just, yeah. Just we're definitely be, doing that, aren't we? Yeah, we we're are. definitely un- doing that. Unfortunately, we are. <laughs> Not unfortunately at all, but uh, it's a great but thing. I mean, hopefully, hopefully in five years, you won't need a podcast about mental health yeah. because it will just be part of everyday life you know um, and these kind of conversations and I, i'm so optimistic don't, don't you think wouldn't you agree yeah josh and i just think that is such a magical way to to end this conversation because you know we spoke about this we we started this podcast um as an idea to start chatting and being open about our own issues um and then helping others in certain ways and as we always say on the podcast we're not doctors we don't have phds in this area but what we are do are two guys who know a lot of people, spoken to a lot of people and experienced ourselves a lot of different mental health issues. Um, and we thought it was important to speak out about it. And the greatest thing is this podcast has been massively well received. Amazing. And it was a tester to see if it was going to be well received. And we are going to mention that this is our last episode of the series. Of the series, though, because we're going to be coming back. Have we got it? We got it. We're making more. This is so exciting. So exciting. This is so exciting. Next time you see me, though, I'm going to have a haircut. And I'm going to have all this grey hair we're talking about earlier will be gone. But it is... Eyebrows trimmed. I'm going to get them threaded. (laughs) But it has been... Have you enjoyed doing these first episodes? And as I said, it was a tester, but people have loved it. So we're bringing it back and we're going to do it series by series and we're going to continue to do this. You've loved it, haven't you? I've loved it. And I've also... I just think it's a weird serendipity that we have been talking about mental health at a time when, sadly, loads of people have been really struggling with it. Mm. And... Um, yeah, I can't wait, mate. There's so, there's so much stuff to talk about and so many things that men don't talk about and that we could and should do and women and all of that. It's just going to be, I think it's a really exciting opportunity. It's an amazing opportunity. We want to say a big thank you to every single person who has allowed us to, uh, voice their issues, um, who's sent us voice notes and voicemails and messages and DMs and emails and all these different things. And we really appreciate you reaching out. As always, if you would like to get in touch with us, um, please do um, send us a, a email, contact at privatepartspodcast.com or slide into our DMs. Um, we'll be setting up our Instagram page and things soon for next series, so don't worry about that. But at the moment, it's that private podcast. Um, also, we're going to leave some links below. So if you are feeling socially anxious or anxious in any way, go and check out the links and it will lead you to certain places that can help and all these different things as we want to do. But for now, Mr. Roberts, you, Adios. you beautiful man. That is the end. <laughs> Sounds really morbid that I said that. That's not. That is the end. It's not the end. Say, say this is this is. I used to say to my brother when we used to go to sleep at night. Instead of saying nanite, I used to say to him, "Talk to you." Who says that? Yeah, I don't know. I used to say I didn't Nanite. like. It. I used to say to him, "You sound like Dappy from Nanite. Nanite. <laughs> I used to say to him, "Talk to you a lot in the morning." That's what I used to say to him. So to all of you lovely listeners, we'll be talking yes. to you a lot very soon. I think that's a nice way. Can't wait. Attend it. All right, guys. We'll see you soon. Lots of love. Bye bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.